It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week, we look at the euro crisis and ask, is the worst over? With the European Central Bank committed to unlimited purchases of eurozone bonds, the German Constitutional Court in forgiving mood, and the Dutch electorate surprising gloomy pundits by actually voting for pro-euro candidates, the European single currency has had its best month for, well, months. But is this a real turnaround or just another false dawn? Joining me on the line from Brussels is Peter Spiegel, our bureau chief there, and here in the studio is Tony Barber, our Europe editor, who's just back from Spain. But, Peter, if I can turn to you first... Do you share the uh, the analysis that things are, are got a little better for the European single currency and that it's in a slightly more stable phase? No, it certainly is in a more stable phase. But I'll tell you, when you talk to officials here in Brussels, there is no patting themselves on the back. There is no self-congratulations. They are still very, very nervous. I mean, as you said, they've been through this before. There have been false dawns in the past. And they realize that while Draghi probably bought them time and probably bought them more time than they anticipated, that there are still landmines ahead. And the biggest one, of course, is Spain, which, you know, their banking system is still teetering. And we're supposed to get their best and final guess as to how deep the hole is for the Spanish banking sector. But the way the Spanish government has managed this itself for the last nine or ten months since it's been in office has really has officials here very nervous. They don't think Spanish Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy has gained the confidence of the markets. They're worried that he will not be able to handle it this time around. His communication strategy and his ability to communicate to the markets has been very bad. So they're worried about that. And let's not forget, Greece is still looms out there as a potential stumbling block as well. There is about 20 to 30 billion euros of a gap in financing for Greece. Uh, they're demanding two more years to get their act together. Uh, and the Northern Europeans just aren't in a place right now to, to give that. We've seen some movement by the Germans, but you know the Dutch, the Finns, some of these other sort of very tough Northern Europeans are not willing to give Greece more time. It's very tough for them politically. Now, you're right, the Dutch did dodge a bullet in their elections, but we still see very strong anti-bailout sentiment in the North, and we're seeing bailout fatigue in the South. It's a politically combustible situation as well. Okay, uh, Tony, the first potential fly in the ointment, a Spanish fly, according to Peter, you've just been to Spain. What's your feeling after two weeks there? Is it uh, approaching crisis levels? Some time has been bought for the Rajoy government by the ECB uh, action uh, in particular, which has reduced pressure on uh, Spanish bond yields. But uh, one of the reasons why the yields have gone down is precisely because the market is expecting Spain to ask for some kind of help from the ECB uh, and there would be a formal program of assistance and that the Spanish government hasn't yet done and that leaves an unanswered question and an unresolved tension. That's one problem. A second problem which Peter Spiegel referred to there is the extent of the weakness of the banking system. Now, we're going to get an estimate after an in-depth study of, of the Spanish banks come out on Friday. The signals are that it will 
possibly uh, suggest that the amount of money required to recapitalize the Spanish banks is even slightly less than was being talked about uh, a month or two ago, i.e. slightly 60 billion euros might be at the very top end. That leaves me a little nervous because I just ask myself whether there are still some stones that uh, are hiding some secrets underneath them still. There are two other f- things in the Spanish situation that bother me. One is the severe economic recession and whether Spanish society can uh, take this for, for very much longer and the impact on tax revenues in Spain of that recession, which is making it extremely difficult for the government to meet the targets agreed with other European authorities. And finally, there is the question of uh, the rising pro-secession sentiment in Catalonia, which uh, I think both the government in Madrid and indeed the regional government in Barcelona is finding very difficult to get the measure of. Uh, it's it's running ahead of them, even ahead of the moderate nationalist centre-right government in Barcelona. I think even they are not quite fully managing the situation there. That could easily get out of control if there were to be an early election in Catalonia. Okay, Peter, I mean, one thing I've found difficult to gauge is what exactly people in Brussels, the European Union authorities, want from Spain, because I keep reading that they want Spain to apply for a bailout, but that slightly surprises me if it's the case, because A, it's money that has to be raised from reluctant national electorates, it's another bailout, and also surely there must be the risk then of contagion to Italy. So what's the reasoning? Well, each government, frankly, has a different view on this. The French in particular are pushing this, as are the European Commission, because they actually believe that Spain needs some sort of help outside to manage this transition. I mean, at this point, they have really become very frustrated with the Spanish government's ability to, you know, implement its own reforms, to message the markets, and they feel that... The, as Tony pointed out, the expectations are so high that if it is not done, they will suddenly see uh, Spanish yields go back through the roof, contagion to Italy. There also is a belief, and I think I, a right one, that the linkage between Spain and Italy is weakening. I mean, everything that Tony listed there, I mean, the fact that the, the Spanish economy is in a tailspin, the fact that it has a banking sector that's falling apart, it has huge budget deficits. I mean, all those factors do not exist in Italy. I mean, Italy has a stagnant economy, but it's not in the kind of spiral that Spain is. Italy doesn't have a budget deficit. I mean, it has a huge debt level, but it's been able to actually maintain a balanced budget if you don't count its debt payments. And it has a banking sector that's fine. It is relatively stable, and it's comparatively well capitalized. So there's a belief that if Spain is taken in, put into a program, not taken completely out of the market, but at least have some bond buying by the bailout fund and backed up by the ECB, that they draw a line and say, Spain is it. We draw the line at Spain. That's the last problem country, and Italy could survive. Now, there are others who worry about exactly the point you raise. Does this then not draw a line, but rather shift the focus? Does suddenly Italy, which has only sort of sporadically adopted the kind of economic reforms that a lot of people believe are needed, uh, Mario Monti has run into a lot of resistance, particularly as, as Election Day gets closer uh, in, in Italy. You know, does the focus then go to Italy and force the kind of contagion that, frankly, Europe can't handle. Italy is just too big to bail out. The amount of money that's needed for Spain can be handled by the instruments that they have right now. They would need orders of magnitude more money to deal with the Italian problem. Um, So there's a debate right now. The Germans right now are leaning very heavily on the Rajoy government not to take the bailout, 
partially for this reason. Uh, there are other people here in Brussels who are on that camp. So it's really divided Europe right now. There's no unanimity on how to proceed. And the Spanish government is frustrated because of that. They're getting mixed messages from various countries and sometimes from within different countries, particularly the Germans, sending mixed messages about what they want Spain to do. And Tony, of course, as, as you mentioned earlier, that one of the other factors is how long can the public take austerity? And you, you mentioned Spain, but of course, Greece, the situation is even more severe. They're talking about, I think, the economy shrinking by 25% from the beginning of this trouble to now. And Portugal has just had to reverse some uh, austerity and labor restructuring reforms because of popular protests. So is that, uh, it's always been a factor, but is it likely to, to ramp up even further as the economy gets worse? Well, what we see in Greece is the steady rise in support for parties and, and movements of the radical left and radical right, uh, as well as a certain amount of uh, uh, violent street protest. Uh, now, we haven't seen that yet in Spain and Portugal, and uh, that means there probably is a bit more time for the governments uh, in Madrid and Lisbon to carry on with what they're doing. But I think that the Portuguese government's decision to cancel the very ambitious attempt at cutting labour costs by reducing the social security charge on employers and transferring it to uh, employees. I think that the level of protest that that inspired and then the the rollback uh, is a, a straw in the wind because it does suggest that the limits of what's politically possible have probably been reached in Portugal. A, a radical uh, a structural economic reform like that has not, in fact, yet been attempted in Spain. They were looking at Portugal and thinking, could we do the same sort of thing? But I think after the Portuguese cave in that, that they won't. That does raise the question of whether the attempted European solution, which is long-term benefits from really hard, painful, but necessary structural reforms, is in fact still in place. Okay, and and Peter, that's the economic bit of the attempted long-term solution. You know, we we go through the pain now and the austerity and the structural reforms, and then we come out healthier at the end. But there's also a political element. People have always spoken of, well, this is the occasion now to create the political union. I think Barroso spoke recently, used the F word, spoke of a federation for Europe. But are those kinds of things really making progress, or are we still basically in a sort of financial and economic firefighting mode? Well, I think, you know, it is now the conventional wisdom, both here in Brussels, but frankly, everywhere you talk to, financial markets, analysts, government leaders, that the biggest flaw and the reason there is a crisis is because of the structural problems in the Eurozone. It is a monetary union without any fiscal or budgetary or economic union. Again, when we talk about the ECB buying time, it is time for the European leaders to create that, whatever you want to call it, fiscal union, to compound the problem that Tony has identified, which is you know, the lack of political support in some of these southern countries for generational change. I mean, we're talking you know, budgetary austerity for years, not just months or even through a certain single government, but for years. On top of that, we're asking voters in the north and the south to basically cede control of their own budgetary tax and spending decisions to Brussels. And that is how leaders believe a single functioning currency union can occur. And the only way, 
And what you've seen time and time again in elections, and again, the Dutch may have dodged a bullet here, but let's remember, you know, six months ago, if you would have said Mark Rutte, the current prime minister of, of, of the Netherlands, was quote-unquote pro-European, everyone would have laughed at you. I mean, he was one of the most sort of tough bargainers on any European uh, issue within the Eurozone, and he's seen actually as a bit of an outlier, someone who's actually very tough on European issues. But he's facing a domestic population that is tired of this. They're tired of ceding their sovereignty to Brussels. The Finns are the same way now. You've seen the rise of the true Finns party, also talking about getting out of the Euro, even getting out of the EU. You've seen time and again these northern countries who are looking at Brussels that, that, and we are saying, we have to take over control of your budgetary and taxing authorities, and they're saying, forget it. And so I think the, the nervousness here is that we're moving from basically what was a, a fiscal crisis into a political crisis. Can the voters, will the voters go along with the medicine, both on the austerity front, but also on the political sovereignty front, that everyone seems to believe is the way forward? No one has asked the voters this or only done it sporadically. I don't think the answers thus far have been particularly inspiring. Peter Spiegel in Brussels, thank you very much. And thanks also to Tony Barber here in the studio in London. That's all for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.